No matter what happens to you, you can trust that you will truly be taken care of. No matter how uncertain your future looks, there is a way to be confident that whatever happens is actually what is ultimately best. It is possible to really see concrete proof that God sees you, knows you, cares for you, and is intimately involved in your life. Now this kind of life, this, this faith, this trust, is 100% possible and available to every single person. It comes from practicing the art of following Jesus. And Jesus said, there was one practice that grows our faith like nothing else. So let's talk about it together. Jesus offers all of us a life of purpose and meaning and peace and joy and confidence and hope here and now. And we discover this life as we practice the art of following Jesus. And this art is like a dance with God himself where God leads, but we also have our steps to take. He transforms our minds and hearts from the inside out as we purposely work with the Holy Spirit and practice to become the already not yet people living in the kingdom of God now. And throughout the biblical writings and throughout Jesus' own teachings, there's one practice that is discussed and modeled and explained and encouraged and even at times commanded over and over again. It's a practice that not only grows and strengthens our faith, but also allows God to use us to grow and strengthen other people's faith. What is it? It's developing a lifestyle of generosity, purposely and consistently giving away money. See, generosity is the key practice that both strengthens and proves our trust in God. Now, if you're watching, you're like, what's this church thing about? What's If you're not a Jesus follower, you don't call yourself a Jesus follower, you're completely off the hook from anything I'm going to talk about. You don't have to do any of it. But I do think applying these principles will make you happier and will give you a, a more fulfilling life. Now, if you say you are a Jesus follower then we need to take what Jesus says very seriously, especially if it's something he says over and over. And the truth is, how we use our money directly affects our personal happiness. I mean, this, this is true whether we choose to follow Jesus or not. You know this. Greedy people are miserable people. Generous people are happy people. That's why we love the story of Scrooge in the Christmas Carol, right? How he's this greedy person, and then he becomes generous because that's what makes people happy. So let me show you just one example of what Jesus says about how we use our wealth. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus says, Life is not measured by how much we own. And we, so let's stop there. You know, we say that. We, we nod and agree. We hear Jesus say, you know, it's not measured by what we have. We nod and agree and say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But honestly, do you agree with that? Life isn't measured by what we own? Like, really? Would your bank statement, would your credit card bills say you agree with that? Now, if life isn't measured by how much we own, what is it measured by? How do we measure whether a life is full and great? Well, what did Jesus say? He said, if we want to be great, we need to be the servant of all. A great life is focused outward. Life isn't measured by what we get for ourselves, but by what we generously give to others. And then Jesus tells a story to illustrate his point. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, 
I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Jesus calls this guy a fool. Like, why? Don't you think it, like, it makes sense to us, right? He worked hard. He finally has enough to retire. And he does. Like, good for him. Good job, buddy. Like, why does Jesus call him a fool? Well, first, because this guy actually thought everything he had was his. See, he says, my crops and my barns and my wheat. Did he make that ground fertile? Did he make the dirt and the sun and the rain? Did he invent photosynthesis? And since he's a rich man in the first century Middle East, he didn't plant those crops. He didn't harvest those crops himself. He paid other people to do it. And this is a universal truth, that whatever we have ultimately isn't from us. See, everything we have originates from God. He is the king and creator of the universe. Therefore, whatever we actually have is actually on loan from the true owner. And the first step in practicing generosity is acknowledging God owns everything. Now, this guy is also a fool because he doesn't realize he's stuck in a never-ending cycle, which really is the same cycle we get stuck in too. He kept chasing enough. And the problem is enough always becomes more. I mean, what do you think would happen if this guy didn't die that very night and he lived for the next year and he had another harvest and it was just as good? Oh, well, he's got enough, right? So he'll probably be generous and, and give to those in need. No, he wouldn't. You know what he would do because it's exactly the same thing we would do. He would just build bigger barns again and hoard all of it for himself. And hoarding is the accumulation of money and things out of fear of not having enough. Fear of not having our enough keeps us from experiencing the life Jesus offers. See, no matter how much we actually have, our enough is always just a little bit more than we currently have. And if we ever get to what we thought was enough, somehow, magically, our view of enough suddenly changes, right? Well, now I need a bigger house, and, or I need a new car, or a new boat, or my kids need to have better vacations. But, I mean, think about the good this man could have done in the first century Middle East with all this extra food. People were literally starving outside his door. And instead... He let fear rule his life, and he hoarded whatever came his way. And in the end, it didn't matter how much he had. He died, just like everyone else. And his only legacy would be greed and fear and selfishness. And Jesus says he missed the one thing that was he was actually created to enjoy, a rich relationship with his heavenly Father. See, when we are so focused on getting what we want, we miss out on what we actually need, the life Jesus offers. I mean, if you think you own it, then really you're the one who has to protect it, right? You get all that pressure. But if we know it belongs to God, the pressure is off because it's not ours. My parents tell this story. They had a car once that burnt. They had to get out of it and it was burnt. It burned to the ground. And my dad's response was, well, God, there goes your car. It was God's car. He didn't have to worry about it. See, we know when we know God owns our money. And know that we then know we can ask him and trust him for the wisdom to manage everything we have. The weight is no longer on our shoulders. We can rest and trust and have peace and freedom, which is a full 
life. And now after telling this story, Jesus lays it all out. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over big, bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory is not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your Father already knows your needs. Contentment is the antidote to fear and the source of generosity. See, contentment is acknowledging that God has given us and will give us everything we need. And if Jesus says, if God takes care of the birds and gives them everything they need, then obviously he will take care of you. Like God cares so wonderfully for the flowers, then think how wonderfully he cares for you, his own beloved child created in his image. And when we get a glimpse of just how much God cares about us, it starts to grow our contentment and opens us up to the trust that generosity requires. Like imagine what it would be like to trust that God will take care of us daily and then actually seeing him do it again and again. That would strengthen your faith, wouldn't it? So if we don't seek more for us and we actually want to be content, what do we do? Seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. So instead of seeking wealth for ourselves, we seek the kingdom of God, actively working to see God bring his true love and life to our hearts and lives and to those in the, of the people around us. When we are seeking the kingdom of God, everything else falls into place. Everything else makes sense and our priorities are transformed and we get to see God actively work on our behalf in our lives now. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. We have a heavenly father who created and controls and owns everything. He knows you and he loves you and he loves to give good gifts to his children. So why would we ever need to worry about enough? We can trust God because God loves to give everything we need. And if we truly trust God, then we are truly able to practice generosity. So how? How do we actually free ourselves to be generous? Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Sell your possessions. Get rid of what you don't need. It's a word that we call frugality. Dallas Willard defined frugality as where we abstain from using money and goods at our disposal in ways that merely gratify our desires or hunger for status, glamour, or luxury. We keep our spending within the bounds of what is necessary to live the life to which God has led us. Frugality frees us to be generous. It does. It frees us from the concerns and desires that would keep us from focusing on the kingdom of God. It frees us from debt 
debt, which forces, forces us to constantly worry and think about money, and, and it steals our hope for the future, and it keeps us really from seeing the needs of our neighbors because we're so focused on what we have to pay back. And then Jesus basically draws a line in the sand. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. How we use our money shows what we truly value. Do we value ourselves, our comfort, our experiences, how we look to others in our current lifestyle? Do we value our luxuries or do we value the kingdom of God? And if we want our hearts to be after that which God is after, the only way to train them is to put our money where our mouth is. When we invest our money in the kingdom of God, we can't help but have our hearts become invested in the kingdom of God. Being generous with our money allows us to work with God in bringing his love and care to those who, for whom he cares and loves. Okay, but how much is enough to actually be generous? Well, C.S. Lewis answered that question in his book, Mere Christianity. He said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusement, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say it is too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot because our commitment to giving excludes them. What he's saying basically is citizens of the kingdom of God live and spend differently than citizens of other kingdoms. And when we realize everything we have, including our breath, is on loan from the true owner, we are more willing to use it for the owner's purposes. When we practice the art of following Jesus, investing in the kingdom of God becomes a higher priority than getting and, and getting to do everything we want. It actually means we have to change our lifestyle. So how much is that? Like, give me a number, John. Well, everyone is different. But for thousands of years, even before Christianity, really, the general idea has been a tithe, meaning giving away at least 10% of our income to invest in the kingdom of God. Oh my gosh, that sounds impossible, right? That's a lot of money. It is a lot of money, but it's not impossible. Let me tell you the tale of five families. These are the monthly budgets of five real families that I personally know who consistently tithe to their local church. Now, five things I've discovered by looking at these budgets. First, tithing is a result of having clarity in our finances. See, when I asked each of these families if they would be willing, which was, thank you for sharing, willing, and then able to give me this info, I said, can you give it to me in the next two weeks? I know it might be hard to pull it all together. Every single one of them was able to give me their monthly budget the next day. They know where their money is going. Now, a second thing that I discovered from these tithing people is that tithing is the result of purposely planning. In fact, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament said, but generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. See, all five of these families listed their tithing and their giving first in their budgets. It was the first item on all of their budgets because it's the first expense they take out before they spend anything else. See, for them, it's not, well, we'll spend what we need and want and then give what's left over to God. No, it's the opposite. We'll give and then live on what's left over. I also discovered that tithing is the result of living frugally, like we talked about. All of these families are living within their means. They all drive used cars, even though some of them could afford a new car every year. 
None are paying huge interest rates on credit card debt. They save and plan for large expenses and then buy it when they actually have the money to buy it. I also found out that tithing attaches your heart to the work of the kingdom of God. All five of these families are committed and active in a local church community. And they live, I've, I've seen them, I know them, they live out the kingdom of God in their daily lives. I also discovered that tithing is an act of faith. All of these families continued tithing faithfully through the inev- inevitable hard times of life. Like if, if they lost an income, they continued to tithe, even if the math sometimes didn't add up, and God always made it work. If they got extra money, like a bonus or a stimulus or whatever, they would also tithe on that. And all at some point, and some even currently, have given more than a tithe, more than 10% of their income to the work of the kingdom of God. And these, if you knew these people, you'd be like, oh, well, cool. These people aren't super saints. Like they're normal people. Because the point is, Jesus wants all of us to experience a full life of trust and generosity. So here is my invitation. Whatever your income, for the next 90 days, in the next 90 days, take a step toward greater generosity. Either to our church, Cross Creek, or if you already have a local church, give to that community. Now, why am I specifically saying give to a church and not like, like give it to a charity? Well, there are amazing charities that need financial support. But as we've said before, Jesus is the hope of the world and he has chosen his church to shine that hope to the rest of the world. Pastor and author David Fitch said, the church is the extension of Christ's presence in the world, making his reign over the whole world visible. Now, with church work, we don't always get to see the good that's being done. It's not always like, well, we served 5,000 meals, and, and sometimes it is. But the main work of church, we don't see. We see it in lives. We see it in investing in unseen changes in generation. These are pictures of kids who got Bibles at their kids' church on Sunday at Cross Creek, and they went home, and they were so excited that they got their own Bible, they got to read it, and they even got like a yellow crayon to highlight it. That's what we are investing in. We are helping the Holy Spirit change lives from the inside out through generations. And so we need to first invest in Jesus' plan to bring his kingdom to the rest of the world, the church, and then see where we can help charities who are working with the church to bring the love of Jesus to those who most need it. Where our treasure is, there our hearts are. And if we put our treasure in Jesus' chosen method to reach the world, then our hearts will be more closely attached to his purpose. And that will inform which charities we might support second. Now, as you consider taking a generosity step, pay attention to the tension because something in you will most likely want to resist becoming more generous. So ask yourself, what is that? Are you gonna let that control you? Now for some, a step will be giving money for the first time. So take that step, pray, and ask God what amount you should give and then give it and trust that God will take care of your needs. And maybe you've given before. Maybe even you've given more than once. Then the next step would be to become a regular giver. Pick a percentage and then consistently give that percentage first, right when you have money come in. And then trust that God will take care of your needs. The best way to do regular giving, especially to Cross Creek, is to go online and do our online automated giving where it takes money out right away the date you tell it to take it out of your bank account. And we can help you set that up if you need. 
And now maybe you've done that. Maybe you are a regular giver. So your next step in generosity would be to become a tither. Choose to give 10% away and live on the other 90%. Purposely, you will purposely have to choose to change some of the things in your lifestyle. So do that and then trust that God will take care of your needs. And maybe you have been a tither, a 10% tither. Possibly your next step might be to become a steward. A steward is one who cares for what another has entrusted to them. See, the tithe was always seen as a starting point for God's people. In the Old Testament, what was actually real was more like a 20% giving is what they were commanded. And 10%, a 10% tithe was never required in the New Testament. I'm not saying God says you have to give 10%. It was always to give generously as much as you can. See, Paul says to give as the Lord has prospered you. In fact, let me read to you what Paul said. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. You will be enriched in every way so that you can also be generous. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. We're not trying to pressure you in any way. We're just trying to give you the truth of what God says. And when we get to be used by God to bring his love and peace to the world, we can't help but be joyful and excited to be a part of his plan to redeem all of humanity to himself. There is a life of joy and thankfulness and purpose just waiting for all of us. But we have to untighten our fists and let God use us and what he has given us. God loves to give. Think about the most famous verse in the Bible. God loved the world so much that he what? He gave his one and only son. And Jesus' followers are generous because Jesus was and is generous to us. We are never more like Jesus than when we give for the good of someone else. For God so loved the world that he give his own and only son that world whoever whoever believes in in him that shall shall not believe in perish but perish but he eaten but but have have eternal eternal life good job thanks for joining us online for this content put out by cross creek community church whether it's on the podcast uh, YouTube, where you got to us via our website. We appreciate you. Let us know you're watching by commenting 
on the video and YouTube, or you can send us an email at info at yourcrosscreek.com. We also have a welcome form on our webpage, which is super easy to fill out. And uh, there's a free gift involved if you're interested in starting a conversation with us. It's just a fun way for us to get to know you and say hello. We have uh, in-person services on Sundays at 4.30 p.m. in South Salem. Our location and a map and all that good stuff's on our website, so feel free to check that out. You can also follow us on social media for updates and encouragement throughout your week. If you decide to try any of these practices in this series, we'd love to hear about it. We'd love to hear about your experiences, how it's going for you, and just have a conversation with you about it. So send us an email or use that welcome forum to interact with us. We have small groups that meet weekly that you can join if you're interested in that. And we also have a middle school and high school connect group that meet on the first and third Sundays of every month. More information on our website as usual. Thanks for donating. If you consider Cross Creek your church, uh, we really appreciate your uh, regular giving. There's a portal on our website that's secure and we are a 501c3, so it's a tax deductible gift um, and it keeps a good thing going. So thanks for that. We will see you next week.